become the leading experts in the world. And if we become the leading experts in the world and build an audience over that one process, it'll be so much easier for us to sell our products and services, but you gotta get there first. Welcome to Leading Matters. I do hope it's not your first time here, but if it is, what a great episode you've chosen to join us here on Leading Matters. Uh, again, if it is your first time here, we talk about a lot about mission, purpose, values, and how you connect the strategy down to the tactics of what you're doing, and along the way, how you engage your employees so they feel a natural part of the process that they're bought in. Uh, today, I'm going to focus quite a bit on content marketing. My guest is Joe Polizzi. He is the founder of the Content Marketing Institute, which he founded, oh, by the way, in 2007. So he was way ahead of the trend of content marketing. And he's a, look, I, I've, it's the first time I talked to him today, to be honest with you, but I, I feel like I know him because I've read so much of his, of his stuff. And the episode, it, this, listen, if you are frustrated with your content, if your sales team, if you're a marketer and your sales team's telling you that your content marketing stra- uh, strategy is a distraction, that the lead quality is poor, if you are someone in an organization that wants to use content marketing but can't make the case, if you are a business leader of a small company that wants to make sense of it, if you're a business leader of a very large company and you're not satisfied with your where you're headed here or you think it's maybe not for you, then this is the episode you need to listen to because Joe explains exactly, exactly why uh, you need to take a deliberate approach, that you need to give it time, and that you shouldn't be uh, captive to the tyranny of metrics. Not that the metrics aren't important, but it's a different set of metrics, and it's all about audience and how you're nurturing, developing, and communicating with that audience. So listen, I can go on, but as always, you haven't come here to listen to me today. You've come to listen to Joe Polizzi. So sit back and listen to the next 25 minutes with Joe Polizzi, the founder of the Content Marketing Institute. All right, if you care about content marketing at all, then you probably already know who Joe Polizzi is. And if you care about content marketing but don't know him, well, I'm going to tell you to make your next digital stop the Content Marketing Institute because that's the leading education and training organization for content marketing that Joe founded in 2007. And I can tell you that I've been consuming Joe's thought and CMI's thought for years. It's been a tremendous benefit to me. He's written four books, including Epic Content Marketing, which Forbes named in 2013 as one of the five must-read business books, and just recently released Content Inc., How Entrepreneurs Use Content to Build Massive Audiences and Create Radically Successful Businesses. So pick up his books. You won't be disappointed. And if you're a podcast listener, then check into his This Old Marketing, because that's a good one to uh, put on your list as well. So first things first, Joe, I know you're a busy guy. Thank you so much for making time today to be on Leading Matters. No, Joel, thanks uh, for having me. I appreciate it. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I think so. So listen, I'm going to jump right in. And I, I thought to myself, how can I get my audience that might not know you uh, to give you an, them an idea about your approach? And I thought about it for a little bit. And this might be a little bit obscure, but I think you'll, you'll know where I'm headed with this. So feel free to take it in any direction you want. But I thought it would be good for you to explain why you invited award-winning actor Kevin Spacey to deliver the keynote address to your 2014 Content Marketing World event. Well, I mean, he's Kevin Spacey. I mean, come <laughs> on. No, it's it's interesting. So I heard him. This is probably about 
oh, let's see, a year, a little bit more than a year before our Content Marketing World event that year. And I saw him do a speech in Edinburgh uh, via YouTube or something like that. And I watched him like, oh, my God, he was talking about the power of story, the power of storytelling and how you have to be authentic and and how if you're going to draw attention to yourself, you have to tell this powerful story. And I said, boy, if somebody like that uh, with uh, with Kevin's reputation if we could get him on stage at Content Marketing World, it'd be perfect. So right after that, Joel, we started working as many connections as we could to get him on stage to do that. And, and he was it was amazing because him and a speechwriter, they really worked with us on getting this right. So he did an, or, uh, it was about a 30 minute uh, speech uh, for the attendees at Content Marketing World. And then it was a fun you know 30 minute Q&A after that. So it's just something. And I do this all the time. Like if there's celebrities out there talking about storytelling and what they're doing and, uh, you know, people want to hear what some of these celebrities are doing because not not often, you know, are they talking about content marketing? And that's exactly what he was talking about. And he was he went out there and told you know, all these marketers, you know, you really have to think hard about the stories. Uh, you have to you have to focus on, you know, your audience's pain points. And I'm like, this is perfect. We've got to get them. And, and we were lucky enough to get them to uh, to keynote. No, that's great. I, I know the uh, the Edinburgh uh, speech. I saw that as well, and that's why I asked you to explain it from that perspective because your commitment to, to storytelling and really reinforcing that to those that want to practice this idea of content marketing has been, I think, very beneficial to the entire industry. Right, but 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 what I want to ask, you know, going from that you know kickoff point as far as making the story important and why you had uh, Kevin uh, Spacey to your event is. Just a, a perspective that I've seen over the course of my career, and it seems to me that, that a large majority of businesses today still just kind of play around the edges of content marketing, that they produce content for the sake of having it rather than embedding that story into the DNA of who they are as an organization. I mean, I guess I'm curious if you think that's true, and if so, why does that persist even today? Well, I think that it's absolutely true, and I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing effectiveness rates not being where we need them to be because you've got these large enterprises that have been doing pretty much the same thing for a long time. I mean, they've been they've been leading with their products and uh, all of a sudden the technology barriers are gone. Uh, consumers are now in control of all the information, um, you know, where they've got a smartphone device with them at all times. They can choose to ignore us at will. And we think as brands, oh, because they can get this information so easily today, we could just start, you know, delivering this content and a little bit here, a little bit there, some white papers. Maybe we'll do a blog. We'll try a podcast. But they don't commit to it and they don't focus on a particular audience. And, and I think so you see a lot of marketers out there that are just dabbling and, oh, we got to get a Facebook page. Let's put some content up there. And they're just killing themselves, Joel. I mean, they're just they're, they're a little bit all over the place. And then and then they see, oh, this thing, this content marketing thing doesn't work, but they're not doing it right in the first place. And if they take it from a media or a publisher standpoint and you really focus on, OK, who's my audience, my very specific audience? And then what's a content niche that it's not about our products and services, but hovers around the 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 issues that our customers are having. But we're talking about something very educational. We're really trying to help that audience. And we commit to that over time and consistent, consistently deliver amazing and relevant information on an ongoing basis, like a media brand would, they would see success 
but it doesn't happen. It's still very much so a part of campaigns. It's like, oh, we'll do this thing for six to nine months, and then we might yeah. stop. We might do something else. And I think that that's the, you know, if you ask me, like, where where are brands, uh, where, where are they missing the, the boat most often? Yes, we can talk all day long about the quality of that content. But really, it's consistency where it breaks down because you got to remember, these things don't work. Usually, it takes 12, 18 months, sometimes two years to build a loyal relationship with an audience. And that takes time and patience and a lot of these big brands, they just don't have it. You know, I, 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 when I hear that answer and I'm like, yeah, I'm like nodding my head. You can't see me, obviously, but I'm like, man, that, that's exactly right. This is a big reason why I love to consume the things that you guys produce at CMI and, and the things that you write because it's a philosophical kind of ideological change, right? And to me, I think talent ends up being a big equation because, look, running a campaign, what I see, I see a lot of strong marketing leaders that have a lot of their tactics down that can run campaigns better than anybody's business, but they just continue to kind of run their head up against a wall because they don't appreciate that they need a different set of talent, different set of skills to creatively come up with that narrative and that story in a way that injects that story into not just the the marketing funnel activity, which is important, but it mm -hmm. doesn't end there, into the customer service, into the, you know, if you're a SaaS company, into adoption, into um, training, into billing even, you know? I mean, is, is, it, is it a talent equation where marketing leaders that are strong in what they do just kind of have to see through the, the force for the trees here to kind of get the right kind of creative on their team? And I'm not using creative in, 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 the, in the traditional sense, but that, that nuanced creative look at how we tell our stories and what our story truly is. Talent is obviously an issue. I think I think you're absolutely correct. But really, the issue I think the first issue is mindset. It's we're not even thinking about doing it this way. I mean, we're if you look at how most businesses are set up, they're set up around the products and services that they they deliver. We're not thinking about oh, how do we help this audience get a better job or live a better life in some way? And that really comes down to like the core of content marketing, where we're trying to help that person do something that sits the value we're creating is outside of the products and services that we offer. This is very forward to most companies that do this, that focus on campaigns. So yes, market most marketers are not good storytellers. We could talk all day long about that. They're very good at doing these campaigns. They're very good. At, okay, how do we leverage CRM? How do we leverage marketing automation? How do we get leads in as fast as possible and get those get that onto the sales channel? But they don't think about how do I build an ongoing asset so that I don't necessarily, maybe at the end of the day, I don't have to use somebody else's channel to communicate. Maybe we can communicate directly. Maybe our customers will opt into our messages and we can help them uh, you know, do whatever they need to do. And when they're ready to make a buying decision, they'll be thinking of us because we've been delivering all this value for such a long period of time. So, yeah, we've got a lot of, uh, as you say, you know, creative talent issues and whether those are we don't have the right uh, writers or journalists or storytellers or content producers, whatever the case is. But but it, really, it comes down to when you go into especially we work with mostly midsize to large companies, they're not at all set up this way. They've got PR, they've got communication, they've got IT, they've got maybe some content group. But that content group, for the most part, is working on behalf of the products and services. It's all all the content is generated on how do we get more interest in our products and services. And I think that needs to be secondary. But that's very, very hard for a company to do. Well, you know, that's a that's a tall task, right? In other words, to get a company, I had I'll give you an example. I had Jay Bear on the show the other day talking about his new book, Hug Your Haters. And I'm not sure if you've read it. It's a great read about um, you know customer service and really how we address um, the complainers to engage our customer in our sure. marketplace a little bit more. But one of the one of his perspective is very 
very similar to what you just said is that listen the 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 silos that exist between customer service or customer excellence teams and marketing and sales is just it's a big chasm and a big wall because it's just naturally evolved that way so for more established companies it's much more challenging to break that wall down and in your description just now as I'm listening to it I mean I get it right because I think it's a again a philosophical start in other words we had to philosophically believe that's true to make that investment to change the way we do things you know when you're going into these small and larger companies i mean do they have to i mean because how do you get past that in other words do they already believe that and they're already bought into that and they want help with it or do you have to first kind of convince them that listen here's where the gaps are you're never going to fill in those gaps until and unless you look at the world from this perspective i mean which is it you have to get Usually when we go in, there's one content champion fighting a very uphill battle on trying to get something done because it's it, they're most of these companies are public companies and they're 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 fighting for the quarter. Oh, we need more leads. We need more sales this quarter. And if you're if they're thinking that short term, let's say that they're just thinking inside the next six to nine months, this is content marketing as a concept is very hard because what you're going in, you're talking about how do we build an audience over a long period of time. They're not thinking about that at all. They're thinking about uh, how do we close more deals? How do we get more in the pipeline? How do we maybe lower turnover? Which are all goals we wanna start with for content marketing, but they take time to do. It's outside of the quarterly schedule. It's outside of even a year as we talked about. So that's the thing and where we, where we see the most impact is you get a content champion that goes in and they start working on getting executive buy-in. You get more and more people to start believing this and having more of a long-term out, outlook and more of a customer-focused approach. And it is not easy. And that's why if you are a small company, you are at a great advantage over a large enterprise because large enterprises move slowly. Uh, they have people that have been successful in their jobs for 10, 15, 20, 25 years, and you're gonna tell them that, no, that's not the way we're doing business anymore. They're gonna say, get out of here. I don't wanna hear anything. This is not the way we do things. And that's the biggest challenge that we have. So that's why even with our event, Content Marketing World, as you talked about, well, we, want, we don't just wanna get one person from the enterprise at that event. We wanna get two, five, 20, to that event because then they can go back and they can have strength in numbers and there's more people thinking about the audience's needs and actually looking at that audience different than the, than their let's say the our sales process we're looking at their buying process and we can look at how they make decisions and the problems that they run into and that's where content marketing can be so effective because we can focus on one of those pain points and do a really good job and become the leading experts in the world and if we become the leading experts in the world and build an audience over that one process It'll be so much easier for us to sell our products and services, but you got to get there first. <laughs> yeah, you know that. But you got to get there first is yeah, kind of exactly. a tall mountain to scale, right? That's I, I, that's great. I'm, I'm encouraged to hear that because I, again, in my goings on, I, I face, I find that one content champion, and sometimes they're up against it, right? Um, so, so, what do you tell them? In other words, if there's one voice screaming in the wilderness, right, to trying to get their company to take note and to take action, I mean, if you had to say, hey, what's the one thing? And I'm sure there's a lot more than one, but if it's the one thing they should do to start to gain the traction and the attention that they need to start the rest of the company think in this direction, what might it be? Well, I, I'm a big fan of the pilot program, and, and that's what I would recommend to do because 
if you just if you come out and you just say, oh, we're going to start a blog or we're going to do this white paper series or we're going to do this podcast, everyone immediately starts thinking about, oh, well, how is this going to help us sell more products and services? Is it going to drive sales? Is it going to save costs? Is it going to create happier customers? Yes, those are all the three main goals we want to focus on. But if you you need to divert that and focus on what is what what is worth the audience's time. And, and if we build an audience, how will that help the organization? So let's say you run it as a pilot program, just like you would for a television show. You've got to make sure that you, and let's say in the first six months and you're going to get that buy-in, you could say, hey, here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build an opt-in audience. At the end of 12 to 18 months, we believe that that audience will think differently, feel differently. They'll know, like, and trust us in a different way. And it's going to help us get those goals. But I can't do that in six months. That's why I always say if, if somebody says they want to see, oh, I want to use content marketing and I need results in six months, I'll say, don't do content marketing. Go do something else. Yeah. Go, uh-huh. go, do, go buy advertising. Go do direct marketing. Go do something like that. So you have to set it up or you get your executive uh, decision makers in a room. And you say, I'm going to come back to you in six months and you can give them all that wonderful qualitative information you heard from this reader on how great this was and whatever. And you've got to keep building up to that point to get through that nine to 12 month mark so that at the end of the day, and that's why, you know, if you do build an audience of some kind, you can then say, okay, well, let's take that audience, that opt-in audience, and let's put that against our customer database. And you can start to see the differences. Do they buy more? Uh Do they stay longer? Do they advocate for our company in some way? Do they market for us? Those types of things. And then you've really got a valuable asset, but it's going to take you time to do that. So run it like a pilot, set very low expectations, uh, and you, you've got to tell them up front, set really low expectations so that when you get back in, into these meetings, they'll be like, oh, yeah, you told us this. We understood this is going to take time. And you almost have to do it like a side project because a company will not completely buy into this until they see success. You could tell them, you could say, oh, Red Bull's done that and John Deere's done that and look what General Electric is doing. And you can show them case studies all day long. But until they feel it themselves and see it themselves, you're not going to get buy-in. So you've got to get one project off the ground and you've got to set those lower expectations until you can build that audience. Wow, there's so much packed in that. You know, I have two specific questions and I want to ask about the metrics in a second, right? But before I do that, I'm curious about another, you know, as this evolves, I see that Sometimes the business-to-business uh, type of company almost is handicapped by what they see their consumer counterparts doing, right? Because it's it's nuanced differently, right? In other words, I, in my my impression, my opinion of things is that a consumer company can take things more programmatically sometimes because of the natural because everything looks like a campaign to them, and, and mm-hmm. they can kind of spend the money on agency creative and execute it with the campaign and get the traffic and the impressions, and then oh, it's, it's great, and oh, by the way, it gets a lot of press, right? But on the B2B side, it just doesn't work that way. It's especially more complex sale. It's more of an engagement. As a matter of fact, I would argue that con- like content marketing, the way you're describing it, really is overlaying more naturally in a B2B cycle. I mean, is, is, a, is a B2B approach kind of um, handicapped by what they see their consumer peers doing? I think it's actually, I think you just mentioned this. I think if you're a B2B company, it's actually a lot easier. The problem is, you have to focus on one audience in those, let's say, seven to nine buyers, decision makers, influencers, gatekeepers in that B2B process. That's the difficult part. So when we see a B2B company go look at this and whatever examples that they're looking at, they might be looking at makeup.com from L'Oreal or something like that. Say, oh, we could do something like that. That audience is much more vast than what we're looking at. We, we might only be targeting 100 people. 
in a B2B buying cycle or, or, or for particular for that audience. So where we see it go wrong for B2B companies, they'll say, oh, okay, we're going to target uh, chief financial officers, uh, engineers, and, uh, and some other audience with that. And I'm like, okay, well, you're going to fail. There's no way you can be relevant enough with that information if you're going to target multiple audiences. So you have to choose one of those audiences, uh, just like you would a media company. If you're if you're a B2B trade magazine, that's what they've done so well, and that's why they become successful, because they focus on one. So you have to just focus on the one. Focus on your pain point that you have, whatever that pain point is at, but then focus on that with just one audience. And I'll tell you a quick story because I thought it was interesting. So a large B2B company. They had a blog. They came to us and they said, said, Joe, we are just not doing well with this blog at all. And we kind of went into some of the details and I asked them, I'm like, well, how many audiences are you targeting with your blog? And they said, 18. And I said, I, I said, I said, I found your problem. I said, you can't be relevant for 18 audiences. It's probably, you're, you're probably beholden to 18 different product groups then, and you're probably creating all this different content on your blog. There's no consistent message. There's no what we call content marketing mission statement or editorial mission statement that's focused on that audience because you can't do it. You can't be relevant enough. So that's where you have to say, look, this one initiative, we're targeting just this one audience and we're going to make an impact with that. And we're going to be the leading expert in this content niche to that audience. Again, that's why small companies have an advantage because they can't afford to focus on this one audience. And if you have if you're a B2B company, ultimately with seven, eight, nine decision makers in that buying process, you're probably going to say, look, we're going to start with one. But maybe content marketing is only going to that approach is only going to help us with two or three. We're going to get the other six audiences Uh in a different way. Uh, And it just the more you, you want, less is more in this case. And that's why you don't want to, you may even decide, look, I don't want to be on doing Facebook or Twitter or doing all these other, maybe it's not a podcast. Let's focus on one platform and one content type at a time. Maybe it is the blog. Maybe it is the podcast, but just focus on being great at that. And when we you create what we call a minimum viable audience, then you can diversify and do other things. It's almost like, oh, we feel because we can publish, we do, and we publish everywhere to everybody we possibly can, and you simply won't be successful doing I, that. I like that minimal viable audience. I'm gonna, I'm gonna borrow that. I'll, I'll give you full credit, of course. But like that. <laughs> actually, that's from Brian Clark. Brian Clark from Copy Blogger. Uh, he's used that. I think he took that from somebody else. But he, we talk about, you know, you have to choose, focus on what your minimum viable audience is, and say, and you, you're not doing anything. You don't focus anything on your products and service goals or anything until you get to that number. It could be a hundred. It could be five thousand. It could be something where you feel you you've got a substantial enough audience, and then you can start diversifying into other areas. Now, I, you know what? I, I'm, I ask a lot of my guests this next question, and I think it, it fits here, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it in here. I didn't plan to ask you this, but just uh, so forgive me if I'm putting you on the spot. But have you read uh, the book, The Challenger Sale, by any chance? I've read parts of it. I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so I, it's a, I actually had Brett Adamson, one of the authors on, on the show, and again, I always explain it for the benefit of my audience who hasn't read it. But long and short of it is say, hey, the solution, the pain solution game matters, but it also you know can, hin- can handicap us when we need to be more prescriptive. In other words, being out ahead of our customers to say, hey, look, in your marketplace, here's the three things I ought to be doing, which I like that because I think a more prescriptive approach puts you in a position of being a an educator in a very specific area. So you just talked about the complexities of the B2B sale. Well, it seems that we, you know, it might be complex, but simplifying that down to 
here's the one most important buyer, and here's the prescription that we know will work for him. I mean, what do you think about that? Do you think taking a prescriptive approach here would help us kind of hack through the weeds of the complexity of, of a content marketing approach in a B2B I, sales I, cycle? I think your point is about simplification is so critical. Like, for example, I mean, if you see some of these, I'm sure you've seen it, right? You see these buyer journey maps. And some of them I've seen, it, there, there's like 47, 50, mm, mm. 60 steps in the process. There's no, and they're changing every second. There's no way we can, so what we really want to focus, how do we simplify that? Maybe we have a really good awareness uh, program. They're at the beginning as they're starting to search for different solutions to their problems. Maybe have, we have one really good experience right before they buy the products and service from us. Maybe we have one really good, amazing loyalty effort. I think if you just simplify those into those three, instead of working on all 47 or 50 or 100 different steps, I think it's going to make it much easier for you because the consumers are going to continue to change. So just focus on things that are tangible that you could actually do that are attainable instead of going all throughout these different things and just making it so complex. Because if you go down that complexity rabbit hole, you'll never come out of it. So let's just simplify it and do one, two, or three things really, really well, and the rest of those that stuff seems to work itself out. Oh, that's great. I think that's great advice. Look, John, I know you got to go. I want to ask you just one last question here about podcasting. I'm a fan of your show, This Old Marketing. Thank you. Uh, yeah, well, it's great. You know, because I, what I love that you guys have done, it's you and Robert Rose kind of editorializing. So it's not like a guest show. It's a really, it's different. And, and I find that the podcasts that I'm predisposed to like are the ones that have a different take on things, right? And I get a lot of, I get a lot of questions about it, you know, from my clients. Hey, should we be doing this, right? I always tell them, and I'm curious to see what your response is, is that do it with purpose. In other words, if there's a purposeful intent of why you're doing it, it adds value to the discussion. It continues your story or whatnot, do it. If it doesn't, don't. I mean, it's a simple equation yeah. there. I mean, what, what's your perspective on whether or not companies should get involved in podcasting? I think you're right. I mean, if it's if you really can solve a problem and you look at a, a particular content niche that's not being covered and you have an original take on it and you can do that consistently, there's an opportunity. So for us at This Old Marketing, we felt that so we we believed that content marketing news needed to be covered in some way. And we didn't just want to cover the news like a regular media company would, but there were a lot of people trying to cover this. So they said, well, what if every week we come on and we take the best news stories and we give it, we just look at it from this content marketing lens. We could, we felt that could be really, really valuable. So that's the original storytelling we bring to it consistently. Obviously we're on, we just uh, produced episode 123 yesterday. So we've been doing this for over two years now. Um, that's where I think there's an opportunity and I'll, I'll just, this is our experience. I, we, I mean, it, the the attend the um, uh, the growth in the audience would would increase a little bit every week. I mean, it was not earth shattering, but we were getting more and more people every week. But once we got to that two year mark, Joel, things have just taken off. Wow. I mean, it like unbelievable, and that's just what we saw. Like in our in my book, Content Inc., you seem to say once you get to about the eighteen month, twenty four month mark. And you get to that minimum viable audience level, things just really start to take off and they really start to work. So that's where where I see a B2B company get involved. How many dead podcasts do you see? Yeah. They do six months, they do nine months, and they go, oh, it's not yeah. working, we're done. Well, if you're a media company, you go in with a three-year plan because you know it takes time to build a loyal audience. So I absolutely think there's an opportunity, but you have to tell a different story. If you're going to do it, you have to be doing something different. I mean, how many of these podcasts that you know you and I are, are a part of and we listen to are the same regurgitated thing over and over again? Mm -hmm. I can hear the same thing on 50 podcasts in the marketing standpoint. 
So if you're if you have an opportunity, if there's a hole, if there's a content niche that you can cover, do it really well, do it consistently, have a different take on it. And but you've got to get past that that point of, uh, you know, how patient are you or it's simply not going to work for you. And that's where most B2B companies can't do because they can't think out, you know, past nine to 12 months. <laughs> that is great. I am going to I'm going to leave it right there. That is fantastic. I've enjoyed the conversation. So listen, who we've been speaking with, we've been speaking with Joe Polizzi. He is the founder of the Content Marketing Institute. He's authored four books, including the most recent Content Inc. You can find that at Amazon. His book, Epic Content Marketing, was named by Forbes as one of the five must-read business books of 2013. And listen, if you've been with us for the last 25 minutes, you know why your next digital stop needs to be over at uh, Content Marketing Institute because all this value that Joe packs in here is available. They have a massive amount of, uh, of information for you to kind of wade your way through getting started here. And if you're that soul voice screaming out in the content marketing wilderness, CMI is going to help you out. So, Joe, thank you so much for your time and all your great insight and really for all the great work that you do. Joel, thank you so much. Anytime, my friend. 